I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to A Very Merry Iconic Podcast. I'm Danny Pellegrino, and I'm missing my co-host, Jenna Brister, at the moment. But I have a special bonus episode for you all today. Now, many of you might know that I host another podcast called Everything Iconic. And on that podcast, I interviewed Jen D'Angelo, who's the screenwriter behind Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney+. Plus. Now, Jenna and I recapped Hocus Pocus 2 on this podcast, so I thought it'd be appropriate to add the interview to the podcast feed. So if you're interested in behind the scenes and all of that good stuff, Jen and I get into the ins and outs of how she decided which characters to include in Hocus Pocus 2, what the women brought to the characters when Bette, Kathy, and SJP got on board, and all sorts of other stuff. So, I hope you enjoy this chat. Jen and I will be back in November to recap all of your favorite holiday movies and some of your non-faves as well. But in the meantime, we have this little holiday treat. And please go back and listen to our recap of Hocus Pocus 2 and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Find us at A Very Merry Iconic Podcast on Instagram. And you can find me at Danny Pellegrino. And we'll be back in November. But for now, happy Halloween. I'm here with the writer of Hocus Pocus 2, Jen D'Angelo. Jen, how are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. I imagine it must have been really stressful to have this movie come out because the original has so many intense fans, myself included. I love the original. I grew up watching it a million times on the Disney Channel and really became something that was surprising throughout the years. So what's that pressure been like now that it's out? Um immense i would say um i am also like a huge fan i watch it every year um like on abc family slash freeform uh it was i remember i bought it on dvd because there was like a weird remember that weird time where like not everything was available online but all the video stores had been closed (laughs) you like couldn't Mm -hmm. find stuff I remember, I shouldn't admit this, but I remember you ordering things from Netflix and you know how they would come in the mail, the DVDs and certain obscure movies that you couldn't get anywhere else. I would just mark that it never came. I hope I don't get in trouble from Netflix, but you would just mark on the form online that said like, it didn't come. And then you get to keep the DVD forever, which is essentially stealing. And I'm sorry about that, but sometimes you just need your hocus pocus fix. Yeah, you just need it. And look, Netflix is like a little hard up for cash. They might come for you now. (laughs) We'll have to edit that out of this episode. Disney sometimes doesn't let villains just be villainous. You know, oftentimes, if you look at a movie like Maleficent or something, they try to make us feel empathy for these villains. And 
that was, I think, my favorite part of Hocus Pocus too. And I don't think for every character, it needs to not just be a villain. Sometimes I think they should just be villainous, but I thought it was just such a beautiful moment and it just tied everything together. That actually reminds me of one thing that I would like to clear up because I agree. Like I totally hear the criticism about like, I, like I feel the same way where I'm just like, why can't villains just be wonderful villains? Like, do we have to empathize with literally everybody? And I feel like for the Sanderson sisters, A, I feel like they do lend themselves to empathy just because like we love them so much and like they're the best and they're just so funny and charming. And I feel like the reason that the movie has so much staying power like is them. And I, it felt like a fun way to kind of like, nod to the fans who love the Sanderson sisters. It's just like, there's a reason that you love them and it's because they love each other. And they're these like weird, (laughs) you know, three weirdos who just only have each other. Um, So there's that. But then I also feel like, I don't think that like, I've seen some people like complaining that like Winifred was redeemed and that uh, we're supposed to just like forget that she has killed children. And I don't think she's redeemed. I think she just has this one thing that we like about her, which is that she's very loyal to her sisters. And like the prologue just is meant to show you like why the three of them are so bonded together and why Sarah and Mary will do anything for Winifred and like put up with all of her shit because she loves them more than anything and will do anything for them. And so I think you can have both feelings of being like, wow, these women are terrible. And like, they did just straight up murder a child in the first one and then try to murder a bunch more. Um, And they're not good people. And they do go to hell in the end, um, which is good. Uh, But they can still have like, you know, there's One still some good to them, yeah, <laughs> even yeah. if they're overall bad. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did this job come about? How did you get the gig? So it was truly just like through my agent. Like I got an email that Disney was considering doing a sequel to Hocus Pocus. And they were like, "Do you, would you be interested in meeting with them? And I could not respond fast enough. I was just like, yes, absolutely. I love Hocus Pocus. And at the time, like I was also, because I'm such a fan my immediate reaction was also like nervousness. Cause I was like, I don't want them to mess with it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I just was so, I felt so protective of Hocus Pocus in general, but I also love it so much. So I was like, I absolutely want to talk to them, but also like, are the women going to be in it? They had to be in it. Cause wasn't there a time when Disney was thinking about maybe doing it without, I know that was a rumor where it was like, they were going to reboot it with just a totally new cast. Yeah, they're, they had talked about doing like, yeah, like a Disney Channel or like freeform movie without them. And yeah, Disgusting. I know. <laughs> Unacceptable. Uh, so how did you decide then what legacy characters to bring back? Obviously, Billy's back. But then I thought Thora Birch was like attached at one point. And I read, I don't know if this is your script, but I read a script like a long time ago. And I believe and forgive me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Thora supposed to play like the principal or guidance counselor? Yeah, that was my script. (laughs) Yeah. Danny was always like kind of in, it was like always levels with Danny where there were versions of the script where she was in it a lot. And then there were versions where she was just in like one scene and then had a brief cameo later. And then we ultimately, because of her schedule, it was like, we can maybe only get her for one day. So then our last ditch effort was like, here's this version where she literally is just there for one second. 
And then we couldn't make that work, which was very sad. And it might've been disappointing. I think if, if we only got like a, a smidgen of her, because I think we would have wanted more. I think that's like always, I feel like that was what we really struggled with, with Max and Allison too, where it's like, if you bring them back, like you want them to really be a part of it and like do something like you don't want them to just kind of like cross through and be like, yikes. <laughs> like, so that was always hard of trying to be like, okay, how do we balance if we are going to bring back legacy characters, like balancing them with new characters. And so, yeah, it ultimately wound up that we didn't have any of them, but Wait, was I, who would you have most wanted back out of all of the other people who weren't able to make it for this round? I definitely, I was so sad when we couldn't have Danny because to me, Danny is like the beating heart of the first one, her and Banks. And we talked about Banks a lot too, but ultimately felt like he has such an emotional, like nice, beautiful ending And it felt almost like disrespectful to that to be like, and now he's back. Um, So that was like kind of sad, but honestly, not just because they're on your shirt. I love Jay and Ice. (laughs) For listeners, I'm wearing a shirt with Jay and Ice from the original on it. Uh, If they, they won't be able to see it, but yeah, I, I know it it must've been challenging because of course there's an emotional connection to all of those characters and I loved seeing Billy back. And of course, I don't believe there could have been a part two without the three women. So I was thrilled to have them and then just to have a new story because I often find with reboots or sequels for movies that are much older, I feel like it's ultimately always disappointing when we just get a little cameo. So I actually like loved that, just sort of moved on, although it would have been nice to catch up with them. And then my sort of hope is that there's a part three and then we get to bring in some of those other characters. That's my hope as well. There used to be, there was like a throwaway line that I think eventually fell out about how like Max and Allison live in California now and (laughs) that Danny is like a veterinarian somewhere. Uh, And so, yeah, I'm definitely like very into the idea of bringing them back or just even like seeing where they are now. The movie ends with spoiler alert. There's a post credit scene and there's uh, an implication that there's another black flame candle. And I've seen some interviews with, I think like Bette Midler and some people and everyone seems to have a different idea of like, if that was alluding to another one, or if that was just a little kind of fun in joke, what was your take as the writer? Were you setting up a sequel? Did you have an idea beyond that? I, (laughs) I'm like, how do I answer this? Is um, Disney going to get mad at you? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was Anne Fletcher's. She really like put that together. The director. So I have, yeah, the director. So I have like some ideas and she and I had talked about it, but yeah, that was very much like her idea of like wanting to end with this tease of something that could happen later. And yeah, we've definitely had conversations. I mean, as soon as I was pitching the sequel and like, building out the prologue and like the young Sanderson's I had so many ideas for other stories that could be told in that time period. And in our modern time period. So I feel like there's a lot of things to explore for a third one. Okay. Wait. So you mentioned the earlier period and I loved that scene at the beginning with the young Sanderson sisters and Disney plus is doing so many interesting things. The Santa Claus movies, which I love those movies, they're doing a series now. And so Is that an idea, like doing some sort of series version? I think I've seen that online, people speculating maybe there could be like a Young Sanderson series. What would ultimately your ideal choice as even just a fan of this world for the future of this franchise? I mean, I love the idea of 
doing like a series or another movie that's like primarily in the 1600s. I feel like it's just such a fun, their version of it, like the Hocus Pocus version of it is so fun and fun to play with. And I feel like it's just so fun to see those characters like growing up and like how they became who they are. So that's like my, my favorite area is like playing with puritanical witchcraft. <laughs> oh, I love that. I also like, I'm obsessed with the thou and thoust and like that kind of language. It's like really, it's silly and fun. Okay. Talk to me about the input of the three women, Kathy, Bet, and SJP. What did they come into uh, the script with? What did they talk to you about that they wanted or, or what were their inputs into this whole project? So it was interesting because I had done like multiple versions of the script. And then when they came on board, they liked what was there and then just had like some ideas of things to add or things to sort of like reconfigure. And like truly one of the coolest days of my life was when they were like, Bet wants to Zoom with you because she has like thoughts on her dialogue. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm dying. Amazing. It was incredible. And what so were her she thoughts and- on the dialogue. I need to know, like, what what was her one thing she said? Um, she, I this, I was mortified by this honestly because I had googled this and I thought I had done like a sufficient research so that I was correct. But she pointed out that there were times where I was using the wrong thou and thee and thy. She was like, "These are incorrect." These are incorrect and you've got to go back and look at them. And I was like, oh my God, you're hundred percent right. So that was mortifying. And then she had like a couple like jokes for Winifred that were very delightful that she wanted to add in. And the biggest thing that she had was she was like, they need to have a musical number immediately. <laughs> I love that. You know, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't on board with that first musical number at first. And then there was such like clever editing where it was like SJP popped up and it was a kind of scary moment and, yeah. and Kathy and Jimmy. And I was like, Oh my God, I love this. So it won me over so quickly. And I wondered with those musical numbers, how did you all decide what to do? Because there must've been endless possibilities. I'm, was there ever a discussion to reprise? I put a spell on you, which I think would have been blasphemous, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that was a discussion, right? I, that was not a discussion that I was a part of. Uh, I mean, there were, it's so crazy. Like I, when I first got hired, like I was literally only talking to just these two Disney executives, Jess Virtue and Rachel Young, who are both like huge Hocus Pocus fans. And so it was like the three of us and it felt very like secretive. And then as it kept going further and further, it just like grew and grew and grew. And it was so cool to just bring more and more people on board. And Disney has like a whole music department, obviously. Uh, And so the music conversations, like I was never really a part of, um, I just like eventually heard both songs and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, Like right before we were about to start shooting. But yeah, I think everyone really felt like I put a spell on you. It's untouchable. I mean, it's so great. (laughs) I know you might not know the answer to this because this is probably just some other crazy department over at Disney, but did you hear from anyone about like why we don't have the first, I put a spell on you on streaming? Like what the fuck? I know. Wait, I should ask about that because I am, I've been wondering that because yeah, you can't find it anywhere. No, please ask anybody. I've been trying to figure this out. I know there must've been some sort of music rights issue with the original and it's similar to Beth's other first wives club. I think it might've been a 
part of her recording contracts at the time because First Wives Club has, of course, You Don't Own Me, which is like amazing. And that's also not available on streaming. And it's high time that we figure this out. Like, I don't care who yeah. has to loosen up the purse strings, like figure it out, Disney, and get it on streaming because a Halloween party would be, everyone would play it during a Halloween party. Like you'd get so much streaming out of it. Okay, so talk to me about the cat. In the part three or moving on, the cat's, I forget, what's the cat's name in part two? Cobweb. Cobweb, yes. Cobweb's <laughs> going to speak in part two, right? He's going to have some sort of soul. Am I wrong I... on that? Or part three? <laughs> I what was your take on cobweb so cobweb was also like Anne Fletcher came in and was like there needs to be a cat in this movie and so cobweb got added and like we cast this cat that truly was like so beautiful and also just like very professional I was like this cat is a great actor and I one joke that I I just came up with too late like everyone was like People liked it and we wanted to do it, but we had already started shooting and it was just going to be like too hard. But that that you reveal that Cobweb is John Pritchett from the opening <laughs> and that, like that every black cat in Salem is someone that wronged the Sanderson sisters, <laughs> that they're just like everywhere. So that's an idea that I feel like we should explore in a third one if there is one. Uh, the movie because, did yeah. so well. Like I think it was number one on streaming and... I know everybody watched it. Like so many people I know watched and loved it with their kids or even adults like myself who watched it without kids. Uh, so have you heard anything about a future installment? There've been some conversations just like very uh, preliminary, but yeah, it was like, was so incredible to see that it did so well because I love Hocus Pocus so much. And I know that so many people love it so much and it really felt so affirming to just be like, oh yeah, like people love this. And like, these are my people. <laughs> like I yeah. just felt so like seen. It was great. I had a friend of mine, Aaron wrote a book called Hocus Pocus in Focus, which people can check out. It's about sort of the legacy of this movie of the original. And it's been so amazing to watch how the fan base has grown over the years. And I think for, I'm not sure if we're around the same age, but I think for, for people my age, I didn't think that it would ever become this big thing because it wasn't a box office success. It came out in the summertime, even though it's a Halloween movie and it just kept growing and growing. And then there started to become merchandise for it. And even you would go to the spirit Halloween and see merchandise for it. And now to see it have this hugely successful sequel, I think it's very satisfying and it must've just been also very daunting for you as the writer, because there's no real, it's hard to win in a situation like that because people have such an attachment to the original. And I thought it was really, truly wonderfully done. I, I just thought it was great. And knowing about how much pressure there must have been as a, a Disney project, there's oftentimes so many voices that you're trying to adhere to. I feel like Hocus Pocus is just so special. Like I've been thinking about kind of like a lot about why people are so attached to it and like why it has lasted so long. And I feel like it really is that it just feels like this really weird, specific, silly, campy, spooky, fun thing about these like ridiculous, iconic women. And I think like, like people who feel like a little bit on the outskirts of wherever they are, like whatever their situation is, I, it feels like 
Hocus Pocus was like a little secret thing that was like just for us, like for these little outcasts. And like, I think that's why people like really, really connected to it. And that's definitely why I feel like I connected to it. Like I was such a weird little kid and I loved Halloween and I just was like a weird little writer who just wanted to like be alone and write scary stories. (laughs) And I like had a crush on Billy, a zombie. Like Uh, it's just like, I was a little freak and I uh, loved Hocus Pocus so much. And I feel like that was such a great part of like creating the sequel was that you just kept finding more and more people who were so excited to work on it because they loved it so much and it meant so much to them. And I feel like you can really feel like the love for the, for like Hocus Pocus and those characters, like in the sequel too. The nineties movies too. I feel like there was an oddness to them. And we often talk about with streaming services, how these movies are made almost by committee. And so the movies all feel like they're in this blueprint. And certainly with superhero movies, we see the blueprint works obviously but oftentimes the movies we get tend to be similar to each other and i think if looking back on movies to the 90s they're just a little quirky or a little weirder and they took some chances that i think studios maybe don't take as much anymore and so i think watching that original there's so many weird things there that wouldn't today be even allowed in a disney movie and i was surprised even in part two when you are using the word virgin because I was like, Oh, at Disney, I would, I would have thought they would have been like, no, we can't use the word virgin. We have, we can allude to it or something, but the original yeah. has all that virgin talk yabos and like just yeah. sort of quirky, weird stuff that I feel like wouldn't, I don't know that it would get made today. I know it's like, it's like horny too, in a way. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, I think that's also part of it. It's like kids were watching it and just being like, this feels adult, but it's like still accessible. What's your take on the, did Max and Allison have sex in the first one? And th- that one scene where they're like at the house, do you know what I'm talking about? I, always- I do. Wait, this is so crazy. I never thought that at all, but you're now the second person to ask me about it on a podcast. <laughs> I just, I just rewatched it. And that was the first time I ever looked at it. And I was like, wait a minute, but it ends sort of in Max and Danny's house. The parents are away and we think the witches are done. And then they wake up and it's like, I feel like they're alluding to that, but maybe I'm totally wrong. I mean, I got to watch it again. I never thought that literally ever once, but then yeah, someone else was like, they definitely had sex in that moment because they're like under a blanket. I was like, what? I think they did. Uh, Is there anything you want to clear up about the second one? Like, was there anything out there? There's one controversy that's going around about the second one with the Penny Marshall scene, which I love Penny, of course, from the first one in the second one, it's on a screen, these two men are watching it and people are saying, what does that mean? But I think it was just sort of like a little Easter egg, but correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I think it was just meant to be like a fun little wink to the first one. Um, yeah. I loved that scene in the first <laughs> one. You want to let me know when we're doing the third one? Cause I need it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally like, I'll, like drop everything. Like I love Hocus Pocus so much and it was so fun. And I'm just like, let's, let's hustle and get the third one out for next Halloween. I mean, I'm a little worried that Kathy and Jimmy doesn't want to do it because (laughs) she has mentioned in interviews that she's like, Oh, it could be animated. I'm like, Kath, we need you there. We need you all showing up. And Beth seems to be pretty on board with it. Even SJP is like, I'll do whatever Beth Midler tells me to, but Kathy in interviews. And I know she doesn't, I don't think Kathy like works a 
you know, I think she's selective with her stuff and I'm worried about it, Jen. (laughs) I mean, I think they all like, they love those characters so much. Like that was when they all came on board and, you know, they had like thoughts on the script and like wanted to contribute to the story and stuff. Like Kathy really like loves Mary so much. And she had all of these lines that she wanted to say. And there were all these like callbacks, to the original that she remembered really intensely that she wanted to put in because she just like that character is like in her bones. So I feel like she would come back, but I don't know. (laughs) I mean, everyone with the money, you know, you show people the money, they'll come back. So I need Disney to loosen up the purse strings and get the gals back together because (laughs) we can't, we need them back. Uh, Jen, this was so fun. Wait, just real quickly. Cause I want to make sure I, cause I don't want Hocus Pocus fans to yell at me. So did you, I, I know you said there was a, a scheduling issue with Thor Birch, but with Allison and Max and forgive me, I don't remember their names. Was that a scheduling issue or was that like a story thing where you just decided this doesn't make sense? It was more of a story thing, like, uh, because it was just that thing of not wanting to bring them back just to sort of see them, but then do a disservice to their characters by having them not help or like be along for the ride. And so it just felt like it can't be a movie that's about these teen girls and their friendship and also Max and Allison. But I mean, I love Max and Allison. Uh, So the door's open. That's the shot. So the door's open. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for taking the time. Where can people find you on social media and all of that good stuff? Um, I'm on Instagram at Jen underscore D'Angelo and I'm not on Twitter because it was making me too sad, but, uh, <laughs> sure. Do you have a favorite Mariah Carey song, Jen? I ask all my guests their favorite Mariah song. And also if they were choosing for people magazine, sexiest man alive, who would you choose? Oh my gosh. Uh, oh my gosh. Who would I choose for sexiest man alive? I can't believe I wasn't prepared for this question. Well, how about we make it specific to Hocus Pocus in the in the Hocus Pocus universe? Who is the well, sexiest? Then it's Billy Butcherson. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy he was back. I love Billy. Like I truly, when he came on set in full makeup, I teared up. I was so giddy. I felt like someone who won a contest. I was like, it's Billy. Yeah. Uh, and he was just as yeah lively and wonderful as before. Jen, favorite Mariah song. Last question. I mean, I feel so basic, but I, it might just be all I want for Christmas is you. I love it so much. Live your truth, Jen, live your truth. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for Hocus Pocus 2 and for everyone listening, check out Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney Plus right now. Watch it for the holidays. I already watched it twice and I cried at the end of that speech that Bet gives at the end. Like I literally cried. She's incredible. Like, yeah. She's amazing. Jen, thank you for taking the time and congratulations on the success of Hocus Pocus 2. And thank Thank you for making it. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you do next. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Thank you.